Ninjas and welcome to episode 87 of Lime Ninja Radio. I'm your host McKay Rippey and with us all the way from lovely La Jolla, California is our certified show producer and the brains behind our business, Aurora. Hello and I am so excited to share with you today's interview with Helen McCormick. Yes, but before we get to Helen's interview, I just want to give a shout out to all the ninjas that I met down at the Binghamton Lyme disease conference. It was a lot of fun meeting everybody. So thank you for stopping by, saying hello. We also gave away a Lyme Ninja mug. It was a lot of fun. Yes, thank you so much for stopping by, and I'm sorry I couldn't be there. It's a slight commute there from La Jolla. (laughs) Only a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Aurora, tell us a little bit about today's Lyme expert, Helen McCormick. Actually, she's not so much a Lyme expert, although she's getting caught up in the Lyme world. She's really a medical expert and a medical marketing expert. And her company is going to be bringing to market uh, new Lyme tests. And she's hoping to be commercially viable in about a year. And she's really, it was a really interesting interview. So Aurora, go ahead and tell us about Helen. All right. Helen, the CEO of Flourish Partners, has more than 17 years' experience in the healthcare industry and currently owns not one but three successful businesses. Her career in sales and business management allowed her to develop medical and commercial knowledge in many therapeutic areas, one of them being infectious disease and immunology. Helen is a third-level graduate in business and marketing and is also a mentor for Enterprise Ireland, working with startup companies in the healthcare arena. Thanks, Rora. And here's our interview with Lyme expert Helen McCormick. You're the chief executive officer for Flourish. Yes, I am. Flourish Partners and Flourish Diagnostics. And so... First of all, how how did you get to be a CEO? You look much too young to be a CEO. <laughs> and, and second, what exactly does Flourish do? I was reading the website, and I think I have an idea, but I want to hear from you. Okay, so there's so there's two companies. So so to answer your first question, thank you very much. Um, I am hitting the big four O this year. So I've been in the the healthcare industry now just about nearly coming up for 19 years. So I have always worked for some of the large pharmaceutical companies. Um, I've worked for a large distributor in Ireland. I've worked for big capital equipment companies like Toshiba Medical Systems and GE Healthcare. And about um, how did I, you know, become a CEO? Well, about um, nearly three years ago now, three and a half years ago, I set up my own company, which, um, because I was, I mean, I'll be brutally honest, I was a bit fed up with the travel. Um, I was never at home. Um, I had um, my, my first child, little boy, who's now coming up to, to be nine. And um, I was pregnant with my second daughter. And I was literally just traveling the whole time internationally and never at home. And, you know, I love being a mum. I don't get me wrong. I love I love my work. I love my job. I'm kind of very driven, um, but I was really, really starting to miss out on spending time with my children. So I set my own company up, 
um, which um, was a consultancy company. And then I joined forces with my business partner, Justin McCarthy, and we set up Flourish Partners. And we decided, um, you know, Justin is a molecular and microbiologist. My background is more commercial business marketing, that kind of thing. And um, we, um, we decided that we wanted to work on a diagnostic for Lyme. So we've been doing consultancy, as you'll see on the website, yes. partner's website. We do consultancy to some of the larger big blue chip companies or companies that are maybe internationally based, um, you know, Southeast Asia, Singapore, the U.S., um, and they want to a either have a presence in Ireland or they want to um, you know penetrate new markets. So because obviously European markets are really quite different than than the US and Southeast Asia markets. So we've been earning money by doing consultancy to try and fund a diagnostic for Lyme. So that's it in a nutshell, really. And why Lyme disease? What's the connection there? Okay, so um, a couple, there's a couple of connections actually. So the first connection is is that Justin McCarthy worked with a company here in Ireland called Trinity Biotech, and they developed a diagnostic assay for Lyme. Um, and Justin launched that in the US, um, and is um, and because of his background, um, is particularly interested in in Lyme disease and, and other neuroimmunologically diseases. Mm-hmm. So, and, and our company basically, we are, you know, my background from a pharmaceutical perspective has been, you know, mental health, cardiovascular. Um, and there's, there seems to be quite a link up between kind of diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's um, and Lyme disease. So, and that's our, that's our specific interests. So the Lyme came on the forefront between um, discussions that we'd had with it with a few scientists, and also since starting to work on a Lyme project, um, I have—I'll be honest—I've been really ensconced actually within the Lyme community, and quite heavily accepted as well, which is really really nice because the Lyme community are so educated, so prepared. Um, you know, they know, you know, I see kind of things on Facebook, you know, like how to become a doctor in a year. It's get Lyme disease. Right, exactly. Do you, do you know? And yes. it's, um, so I've, so I've actually learned so much from the Lyme community. And, um, and this might sound a bit crass actually about why Lyme disease. Um, well, Lyme disease for us, we feel, um, you know, as a team of scientists and commercial specialists, it gives us an opportunity to do some good. And to actually develop something that is going to benefit the Lyme community to, to enable us to generate funds to then further give back to the Lyme community by working on other research projects. Um, that's our, that's our, our, our ethos really as, a, as an organization. Are you free to say what the next projects in the pipeline are? Are they yeah, I, yeah, secrets? I, yeah, absolutely. No, they're, they're not secrets. We've, you know, we've, we've been asked by you know, quite, quite a few people now what the next projects will be. And ultimately, the first project that we would like to look at is specifically to do with um, the link between Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and Lyme disease. Um, there, there hasn't actually been a, um, a, a proven, a scientifically proven um, study done yet. Like I know that, um, you know, um, I think it's Dr. Alan MacDonald. Exactly, has done yes. Some research with, um, <clears throat> has done some research with Alzheimer's cadaver brains and found that all of those, um, you know, patients were indeed, you know, positive for the Lyme bacteria. And I've also seen very, very recently as well that um, Michael J. Fox, who has got Parkinson's disease, has also tested positive for Lyme disease as well. Um, so we're very, very interested in that. 
so that's so that's one of the next projects and then and a further project from that would be to look at the potential co-infections uh, diagnosing co-infections with Lyme disease like Babsaya and, and and those sorts of things so we are we're a company that's kind of um, firmly ensconced into Lyme its co-infections what it does what it costs, you know, financially on healthcare systems. Mm-hmm. You know, we do quite a lot on the health economic benefits because we do those types of analyses for companies that we work for. So we've done them for ourselves. And uh, the, the, the cost, as in the financial cost mm-hmm. of Lyme disease on healthcare economies on a global basis, it's astronomical, um, you know, in terms of the amounts of patients, patients that can't get insurance to cover their treatments, they have to pay out of pocket expenses. Then they have one or two members in their family that are diagnosed with Lyme disease as well. Then they uh, can't work because they're so poorly. But it's for me, it's not just about the kind of the financial cost. It's the life cost as well. You know, I, I regularly get tweets. I regularly get, you know, direct messages on Facebook. Um, I've only had a Facebook account for about seven weeks, I think. And I've I think of a thousand friends and I get messages every day. Um, I've even had messages from people here in Ireland sending me photocopies of their blood test results. Right. Asking me, can you please interpret these because I can't find anybody in Ireland that can. Mm-hmm. Do you know? So it's, it's, it really is such a, such a major issue and such a major problem. And it's just, we just find it very, very concerning. So tell me a little bit about the test, this mm-hmm. urine catch test. Okay, so you can appreciate, Mackay, I can't tell you absolutely everything about the test because of the intellectual property. Mm -hmm. Uh, My team would kill me. But basically, what it is, what we're looking at is it's it's a project that will look at specifically a direct detection um, looking at a carbohydrate within urine, which is specific to patients with Lyme disease. And is that specific to Borrelia burgdorferi or Borrelia generally? Can, you, can you say? Yeah, my, my understanding is, and the team kind of, you know, will, I'm sure would corroborate this, but it is, um, it's basically the urinary Borrelia um, carbohydrate antigen, basically, which, uh, so yes, it, it is, um, it's, I, 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 I'm going to say that it's Borrelia in general. Okay. That's, I have a patient who's a surgeon, uh, mm-hmm. and the way physicians speak about disease and diagnosis is much different than us lay people. So mm-hmm. I'll say Lyme disease, or your friends on Facebook will say Lyme disease, and we mean every strain of Borrelia, really. Yeah, we absolutely. mean Borreliosis. and. Yeah. That's that's one of the big issues because if you have a slight variation or if the bug has mutated a little bit, it's not going to show up positive on a test. So we need Absolutely. we need something that's that's more Borrelia specific and less Burgdorferi specific. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's you know the the way that the, the Borrelia bacteria works is there is um when it initially enters the body, it um it 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 basically sheds its coat in the endothelial wall of the bladder and that is why our scientific team feel that they can actually capture that bacteria in the urine 
Um, now, it's not just a case of, um, oh, you know, oh, here's a urine test. We, you know, we'll, we'll stick a stick in it and we can, we can find it. <laughs> it's really quite, you know, it, it's, um, it's really quite clever. And I'm, I'm absolutely blessed to be working with two teams of scientists, one in the US, one in the United Kingdom, that have had great success by working with carbohydrates and urine to diagnose particularly difficult to diagnose conditions, you know, for example, HIV, mm-hmm. chlamydia, Legionella, they're all very, very difficult to diagnose because of the, the, the kind of the, 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 almost the etiology of the bacteria. Yes. The bacteria, they change shape, they move, they attack every single organ, but then they hide and you can't find it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret that the majority of Lyme tests that are available currently um, don't have um, an accuracy rate that is that is high enough. Um, and we just feel as a company that's something that we would really like to change. I think a lot of people are with you. It's very interesting you mentioned this, this bladder connection. I was just doing an interview yesterday and th- the man who... He's also infected with, with Lyme disease. He's, mm-hmm. and he's had it. It's neurological Lyme. He's had it more or okay. less under control, specifically with diet, but he went through long-term antibiotic treatment as well. And he mm-hmm. says he knows a flare-up is coming. So sometimes symptoms will come up and he has a question in the back of his mind. Is this Lyme disease or I'm just coming down with a cold? Yeah, and he, he said, he says the symptom the golden symptom for her, him is that his urination increases. So he'll he'll have to is, go once an hour. And he's starting to ask this question of friends, and they seem to corroborate that. Isn't that exceptionally interesting? Because yes. several people have said that to me as well. Um, you know, I have um, one exceptionally good friend um, in the U.S. Um, she has had Lyme disease for 25 years now. She mm. was... Um, I think she she refers to kind of catching the Lyme. Yes. I think in eighty about eighty three, I think wow. something like that, eighty three, ninety three, and she was diagnosed in twenty twelve. Um, she's had a daughter. Her daughter's infected with Lyme as well. Right. Um, and she um, she has referred to this. Um, to me before a couple of um, certainly one LLMD has mentioned that to me before hmm. um, I'm very um, I'm kind of I'm, I'm quite specific you know I do a lot of speaking to some of the Lyme uh, literate medical doctors I you know I'm very active on Facebook and Twitter to just ask about um, the opinion of people and I don't mean to be patronizing when I ask the opinion but I ask specifically you know, what would it mean? What would it have meant to you as a family if you'd had an accurate diagnosis? Oh my goodness. And some of the comments I have, you know, they, they bring to it because I'm not infected with Lyme disease. And, you know, thankfully, none of my family members are. But, you know, to have, you know, a, a, an 18 year old say to you, well, you know, I've been infected since I was 14. Um, I've not been to school for three years. Right. I've lost all my friends because no one believes that I'm ill. They think I'm faking. Or, exactly. You know, and I, I find that, and when I watch some of the videos on YouTube, like I always refer to this video because it's one of the videos that that I bawled crying when I first, it was Erica Volker's visit. Um, she went to a hospital with her husband and she's infected with Lyme. Beautiful young lady, very sporty, very, very active. 
And she's she's on a, in a hospital bed, and the nurses around her are saying, "Oh, it's just a barbiturate overdose." And, yes. You know, stop shaking. You know, you're faking it. And the poor girl, she broke her heart crying. She, you know, she was fitting. She couldn't talk. And I, you know, I just kind of I cried, and I thought, "How in God's name can you fake that?" I just, mm-hmm. I, I just, I just don't. To me, that's just beggar's belief. I just. You know, like, I, you know, I've had my son at home, you know, he's nine, nearly nine, does a cough. Oh, mom, I've got a really sore cough right. today and I don't want to go to school. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, get in the car, you're fine. You know, and so, you know, I can kind of, I can kind of understand that. But when somebody is to the point that they're almost passing out because they're convulsing so violently. Yes. How, how I, I just don't understand how you can, you can fake that. I just, well, I just don't. I have two comments. First of all, and people don't don't get mad with me when I when I say my second comment. But the first comment, the, there's the trouble, the pain, the difficulty of recovering once you've got your diagnosis. But the pain of being misunderstood by your family, not heard by your physicians, is perhaps the greatest pain in Lyme disease. Yeah, and the, so, so many people's stories take some sort of turn for the better once the diagnosis uh-huh. is is finally given and uh-huh. and the the veil is lifted so to speak so there's just uh-huh. there's so much suffering because and unfortunately doctors i don't know how they train in the UK but here they're they're really they know it all and if they don't know something it's rare to hear a doctor say, you know, I just don't know. This is very curious. I'm not sure. They'd rather give a definitive answer. I think it's the way they're trained that, oh, it must be that you're faking or that you're a drug addict or that you've got psychological issues because it it can't be an infectious disease because we've done the test and it's negative. Yeah. And, and yeah. And then when you see, you know, you have, and, and I wholeheartedly agree with what you've just said there, Maka. Like I, I haven't had the experience. Um, you know, I, like I live in, in the Republic of Ireland. I am English. So I, I am from the UK, but I moved to Ireland, um, about nearly, nearly nine years ago now. Um, and I have seen, you know, personally from people that have messaged me, you know, privately on, on Facebook, you know, I've been to see a clinician in Ireland. I've had a Lyme test. Right. Um, here are the results. Now, I'm I'm not a doctor in any way, shape, or form. Okay, but I have got nearly twenty years of healthcare experience and have been teaching, you know, surgeons and radiologists and things. So I'm not, but I'm not a doctor. But when I am given a blood test and I know really quite well what the Borrelia markers are. And the other co-infections are, you know, IgG, IgM, Borrelia, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I look on a blood test and I don't see any of those markers. I don't understand how somebody can be told, well, you haven't got Lyme disease because they've not even tested for it. Okay. Now, that very, very much concerns me because, you um, you know, individuals um, are so poorly, so sick, you know, n- want an answer you know, really, really want an answer. Like I know, I know from my own personal perspective, when I, you know, I just on my year out at university and I started suffering with horrendous gastric problems. Mm. And at first I was diagnosed, oh, it's irritable bowel syndrome. Oh, you've got anxiety. Yes. You know, it's nerves. Here's an antidepressant. <laughs> and I was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years old. I'm 20 years old. 
you know, I've got a boyfriend, I'm finishing my degree, I, I, I don't kind of feel, dep- you know, de- depressed as it were. Yes. But then it turned out after kind of three years of examinations and scopes and all this, that and the other, I had a condition called colitis. So, and it did make me feel really quite off, off colour and quite poorly. Um, but, I, but in terms of Lyme disease, with everything that is going on, you know, in terms of, you know, just looking at a few things, you know, the night sweats, the hot flushes, the neuro problems, the brain fog, the gastric problems, the, the ataxia, the not being able to walk, the, you know, the, the, mig- you know, the really, really bad headaches. And I don't mean to kind of be speaking lightly about Lyme disease because there is so many different symptoms that, that, that I could refer to. Um, I just don't imagine what it must feel like to go to your doctor and to say, look, you know, I can't eat, I can't hold food down, I've got a temperature, I've got palpitations, my heart's flying, I'm passing out, you know, all of these different kind of things. I'm fitting, I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm that and the other. I can't swallow. You know, I've lost the, you know, I've lost the, the function of swallowing. Yes. And you're told, oh, it's all in your head. Right. I just, I just, I, I don't know how that would feel. But from speaking to the amount of people that I do, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Skype, phone you know I'm, I'm kind of I'm always here in this in this office um and <laughs> so you know so many people kind of say to me you know thank you for just doing what you're doing or doing what you're trying to do mm-hmm. because it will make a difference and you know and I think and what is an, another another thing about our test and I have spoken to um Dr. Ken Legner about this who is a very very well-known um uh, medical doctor I've just said to him you know how would how would it be for you as a clinician that is working so hard to treat patients with chronic Lyme how would you feel if you could you know perhaps after a treatment protocol you could dip a patient's urine for Lyme and he said you know and he said look he said he said I cannot validate 100% what you what you're doing because you haven't told me I haven't shared the intellectual property with him because I'm just not really allowed to. But he just said, if there is the possibility of a direct detection of Lyme disease, you know, it'll be a really, really good thing. That's, that's an understatement. Now, what, where are you in the process of getting this test a validated, B approved and C commercially available? Okay. So we're about, uh, we're about a year away from that so what we're currently doing at the moment so the test so the test is in three formats it's going to be available in three formats and the reason that we've done this is because we you know it might sound as though we're being a bit gung-ho about it but I think because it's not just about the availability of a test you know being there it's about individuals using the test mm-hmm. clinicians you know clinician awareness everything else it's a big job. It's not just a case of, yay, we've got a test, use it. Yes. You know, it's a case of, you know, we need to put it in, you know, penetrate specific markets with it. So, we've, you know, we've sat down and because our team, certainly myself and Justin and a few others around us, we've had experience of developing products from, you know, we call it from concept to commercialization. So, a concept is the idea and then the work starts in the lab. Mm-hmm. And then when we get what we, 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 what we need, which is the Lyme antibody, then we can, you know, we have the, 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 the different formats. So we're going to have an over-the-counter test. So somebody like you, like me, brilliant, you know, like your gran, can go to the local pharmacy, the local supermarket, 
I've been in touch with Walmart already and asked the question, you know, and said, look, you know, you're the biggest multinational retail corporation in the US. If there was a Lyme disease test, um, would you put it on your shelf? And they said, look, you know, just you would you literally would follow the protocol for what we do when we take in new products. And if it's, you know, FDA and everything else, it is something that they certainly would consider. So I, we would like to I think a lot of, you know, certainly again, I, I keep referring to the Lyme community, but even patients that are people, excuse me, that are not in the Lyme community in the US, they are very, very aware of ticks and tick bites anyway. So, you know, as a mum or a gran or a, an auntie or an uncle, you notice that you're, you know, you remove a tick from your child. How good is it going to be to be able to go to your local pharmacy or your local Walmart supermarket? buy a test off the shelf, urinate in a cup and test it. And if it proves positive, go to GP and get some doxycycline or some other antibiotic. Right. Because, we, you know, again, we feel that, that one of the key things to Lyme disease is an earlier, Abs more accurate diagnostic. Absolutely. Because then, you know, patients are not going to have the complications of the Lyme becoming chronic, which is when it really does, you know, cause the damage and, and, and cause all the upset that it does. Yes. So that's the first, that's the first test format. So then, and we really like that because we think it comes down to patient choice and people choice, which, you know, well, and again, that's, yeah, and that's where we are right now because it's going to take longer yeah. for the medical community to come around. Completely, completely. So that's that's choice number one. And then choice number two is going to be a, a lab test. So it will still be urine-based. It will still be – the technology will still be exactly the same. But if you go to perhaps a clinic mm -hmm. with – Know, with these symptoms and they want to send a urine sample off to the lab they will be able to do that so they can you know utilize a, a test in the lab and the you know the lab market in the US um, currently I've got a few I have got a few figures but the you know the the current Lyme uh, in in the year 2015 there was three million lab tests done in the US for Lyme disease oh uh, no kidding okay so the potential you know the potential is there mm -hmm. you know in terms of, you know, numbers of Lyme tests. And then the, the third format of the test. Right. And that's is, still with, and, and the backup there, just for listeners too, that's with so many doctors saying, oh, no, I'm not going to test you. So probably yeah. the actual number of tests that would be done would be, oh, who knows how many times a, that. A, a lot higher. At least double, yeah. At least, because I, you know, I'm, I have to be honest, I don't, I don't quote figures from the CDC or, 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 or anything like that because I just kind of feel like I see that there is so much there are so many differences mm -hmm. between you know the CDC suggests this and this group suggests this and this group suggests this so we've done quite a lot of our own research and from all of the numbers and I've you know I've kind of reached out to kind of a lot of the you know topical disease um, you know universities mm -hmm. and different things like you know for example there's a university um, in Australia um, let me just, I just want to get my, um, my, my information correct and then I'm giving you the right information. But the Griffin University National Center for Neuroimmunology and Emerging Disease in Australia has indicated that there are at least 460,000 patients in Australia oh, yeah. with Lyme disease. Sure. Now, but then I've seen as well that Lyme disease doesn't exist in Australia. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's, it's very, very, very difficult to try and you know, have, you know, get accurate figures on this disease. But if you look at, you know, potentially 83 million people in China with Lyme disease, 
There are, by 2020, due to climate change, 28 million people in Canada will be um, exposed to ticks. So that places them, um, you know, a, a further risk of, you know, um, mm-hmm. contracting Lyme disease. And then, you know, Europe, you know, looking at Europe, it was reported that there was about 4,000 patients in the UK with Lyme disease. They actually think it's nearer to 50,000 now. It's about 46,000. Yeah. Um, and then there's figures in Germany of 1.5 million. So I, I think a realistic number without kind of getting too excited about it. I think there's about 100 million people globally with Lyme disease. And that is very, very scary to think that there are no accurate tests at the moment. Right. Well, just so here in the U.S., it it really depends on the local physician and uh, whether or not the, the air is being tested. And a friend of mine who lives about – I'm in central New York – about uh, less than an hour's drive away, uh, came down with Lyme disease, and she believes twice. And the second time, she went to her GP and was told flat out, there's no Lyme here in Chittenango, New York. And the same week, she just happened to take her dog across the street to the vet, literally across the street. This is a small town. And the vet tested the dog for Lyme disease. It came back positive. And the vet says, oh, yeah, they're, we're getting all kinds of cases. There are hundreds of cases of Lyme disease here with the dogs. And that that level, we're, we're back to hand washing. We're back to Semmelweis and hand washing where the yeah. where the experts are just saying, oh, they're, they're just so blind. They've got blinders yeah. on. They refuse to see it, whether it's ego or just stuck or whatever that human nature yeah. is. But, mm-hmm. you know, at some point they'll they'll – They'll move aside, they'll retire, and the new generation will come up, and then we'll just hear like, oh, well, of course, we've, we've always believed that Lyme disease existed. Um, and, Mark, you know, why, what kind of, you know, just from a, a perspective, because I've spent a lot, you know, a long, long time working with medics, and I'll, and I'll be honest, I, you know, and I, and I apologize if I anger some of the listeners now, um, but some of the medics I've worked with over the years have been, you know, have been absolutely amazing. And certainly mm-hmm. from my perspective, you know, I've been in, you know, pediatric cardiothoracic surgeries with, you know, a clinician who is just about to do a procedure on a, you know, a nine-week-old baby that's been, you know, born with their left atrium ineffective or a big hole in their heart. Mm-hmm. And then you're there with a product to assist them, you know, during that surgery. And they're really quite happy to listen to you when they, you know, okay, how do I do this? How to prepare this? Well, you know, what type of suture will I use? Will I do this? You know, will I, you know, are they, uh, do they need to go on bypass? All of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So with Lyme disease, do you think it's because, and this is going to kind of, you know, I feel as though I'm kind of doing a bit of a circle here, but do you think it's because, the etiology of the Lyme disease is just so difficult because it, you know, everyone refers to Lyme as being the great mimicker and mm-hmm. so many people are diagnosed with ALS, chronic fatigue syndrome, mm-hmm. ME, everything else. But there are treatments for those etiologies. You know, you can get, you know, my mum is a rheumatoid arthritis sufferer, yes. has been for years. And she has gone through, first it was non-steroidals, then it was steroids, then it's, now she's, you know, she's had methotrexate, which is a low-dose chemotherapy, mm-hmm. and then she, now she's on anti-TNF, and she injects herself once a week. But there are, the, you know, there is a treatment, so to speak, for rheumatoid. But at the moment, 
you know, without the line literate medical doctors and their experience and clinical diagnosis and, and everything else, there isn't actually a treatment for Lyme disease. And, and do you think that's why, or um, could be one of the reasons why Lyme is swept under the carpet because it's so difficult to treat? At, it's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think I th- it'd be, it's tempting to generalize. Yeah. So uh, it, it depends on the resistance that you're meeting. So, for example, yeah. this this GP in Chittenango, he, the ex. So you you were an expert at the elbow of that surgeon, and he's very yeah. very willing to listen to you because he's no fool. Yeah. You know, no, he's no fool at all. But the the people at the elbows of the GPs, these the, the country doctors, so to speak, in this case. Is his local health department, which is saying that they're very there's no Lyme disease in the area. Yeah, it's the IDSA, which is saying that Lyme disease is easily uh, detected and easily treated, and and so when he's hearing a patient show up demanding these things, he's it's what are you it's like? You're you're hysteric. You know, I have this, I have the experts at my elbow and they're telling me this. And yeah. until we've seen this with, oh, well, I don't want to branch out into, let, let's just say with the whole cholesterol theory of heart disease. I'm not a fan of that, uh-huh. of that uh, um, theory of heart disease. I think there's many other factors and it seems to be slowly fading away. But yeah. the physicians who, who knew that there were, the picture was bigger than just the cholesterol number have been around the whole time. They've just yeah, been totally yeah. ignored, right? Yeah. And so I, I think that's, you know, that's just what's, it's just Lyme disease is the intersection of, you're at the tip, you know, the tip of the the change, the tip of the spear. I wasn't, didn't want to use the word spear, but I'm going to use it no, anyway. No, I know it. Yeah, and it's yeah. absolutely. And, and so the, the testing that you know that you've got going here is not only going to be a breakthrough for Lyme disease, but for all kinds of other infectious diseases. And we yeah. we there's this prejudice that we've got penicillin and antibiotics, and except for a few superbugs, you know, we've got the whole biome, you know under control when the truth is we 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 no. have no idea what we're nowhere doing near. No, nowhere absolutely. near right so we're absolutely yeah. and and t- to open and like you said and then it's and then it's incredibly complicated so unless some personal w- w- with the cholesterol and the heart disease people it it they didn't like you talk to a physician who's who've seen the light and it takes some personal tragedy someone in their family or themselves where they start going into the literature other than what they've been fed by the people at their elbows and say, oh my goodness, you know, this isn't the whole story. And I think the same thing's going to happen with Lyme. It's just, it's just the way science really works when things get stuck and bottled up and man, it's stuck and bottled up. And yeah, there are probably some, you know, commercial interests that have slowed things down and obfuscation and things like that. But it's, it's just this, sticking point this strange attractor of political resistance and ego resistance and ignorance resistance and difficulty to, to treat resistance and difficulty to diagnose so that that's how i see it that it's just 
you know, it's not some grand, that there may be small conspiracy in there. I don't really see it as a grand conspiracy. I just think it, it's just one of those really sticky wickets. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's certainly something I've, like, I've been kind of, um, you know, advocating all over Ireland, really, about ticks. Because, yeah. of course, I'm trying to raise funds. And it's very, very interesting. Only just, just this week, just gone, the HSC, which is the health service executive, which will be very similar to the, the, the National Health Service in the UK. Mm-hmm. They have just launched a, a, a tick warning. Um, you know, in Ireland. So, of course, I've hopped straight on that and said, yeah. well, you know, you are aware, aren't you, that there is no accurate test for Lyme disease. And so, they're not, right? And no, absolutely yeah. not. Like on the, on the website, there is just a very, very small section, you know, oh, Lyme's quite easy to treat and you just get yes. two weeks of antibiotics. Yep. You know, and it's, uh, and, I, and, I, and that's what I find so disturbing because if that was the truth and Lyme was so easy to treat, why have I, I got 20,000 tweets in my Twitter account telling me from people that are so ill, you know, people are dying, you know, they've got heart block, that, you know, they are so neurologically damaged um, that they, you know, they used to be a writer and they can't write anymore because mm-hmm. they can't function properly. Right. So that is, you know, that's another reason. So, you know, that we're doing what we're doing and we just, and as a company as well, because certainly something I, I have found when I first kind of became involved in the Lyme community and uh, a couple of people have said to me, you know, be warned. I'm warning you because you might be seen as a um, big farmer. And I was like, OK, that, you know, that, that I understand that. But we're not big farmers. You're little, we're that, tiny, we're a very, very, micro- small team, yes. very, very small team. And we have it. And because, you know, we have... Um, you know, become so involved in this community. We we ha- we have a goal actually. So the goal is to raise the funds to finish off the test mm-hmm. because we've self-funded so far, and there's only so much money that we can raise in earning. You know, we we can't we can't start charging people anymore, or you know, we can't not pay our VAT or something like that. You know, <laughs> we have to be we have to do what we have to do. Right. So it's to raise raise the funds to finish off the tests get the tests out into the commercial world. And then monies that we generate, because we are profit-making. I have never, ever once said we're not profit-making. We have to be profit-making because you have to make profit to be able to give it. Um, so we're a profit-making company, but then we are um, setting up, um, a, I think it's a 5103C, mm-hmm. which is a charity um, out in the U.S., um, and we intend to use monies to facilitate patients that are struggling financially with their Lyme disease diagnostics and, uh, and, uh, and treatments. So we're going to have a fund. We're going to call it um, Together We Flourish. Um, and also as well, we're going to use monies generated to, to do further research. So for us, it's all about philanthropy. It's all about, you know, don't get me wrong. We will take a salary because we haven't taken a salary for the last two and a half years near enough because we're trying to get, you know, up, everything up and running. Um, we've, we've paid ourselves very, very small amounts over the last few years. Um, and it's, it's about making a, di- it's about making a difference. And I can see 
you know, there are quite a lot of alliance groups coming forward and they are funding research. And like I've actually written to the um, Stephen and Alexandra Cohen Foundation today because I see that they support quite a lot of, um, of you know, of, of Lyme groups and they're heavily, you know, heavily involved with the Lyme community. And they want to, again, they want to, you know, look at, you know, um, um, investment opportunities that are, you know, are going to help the Lyme community. And that's something that's really, really important to us. So we're not a company that have got a team of researchers sat in a university, um, w- you know, with a, with a research project that is just going to sit there. Right. We are developing a diagnostic test that can and will potentially be a game changer for the Lyme disease community because not only will it facilitate patients that are currently infected with Lyme, it will also facilitate and protect future generations. And that is something that is very, very important to us. Well, true innovation, and I don't mean to insult Ireland, uh, comes from the fringes. <laughs> and it it rarely comes from the big institutions. It comes from small, forward-thinking, creative-thinking uh, individuals yeah. like you. So I j- just in and of that self, I think it, your company and your uh, work bears paying attention to because it's not from the big institutions. It's not just another me too study. Like you said, it is it it potentially is a game changer. So how can people keep track and keep in touch with you and oh, okay. keep know what you're doing and what phase you're in, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we have so we have a couple of things. So we've our website, which is www.flourishpartners.com, and there is a whole section on there on flourish diagnostics and Lyme disease. We also have launched, I'm very, very lucky, through my wonderful friend Linda Osborne, she has set up a blog um, called Our Lyme Nation. And there is a whole section on the test on there and also where we're up to. Um, I actually posted a couple of diagrams yesterday as to, you know, what we need to do and timeframes. And if we can raise the funds to finish off, we would be hopeful that we can have these tests on the shelves by April, May next year. So ready, you know, right on time for, for, for Lyme Awareness Month, which is the month of May, um, as you're aware. And also, I have um, a crowdfunding campaign. Oh, I was going to ask about moment. that. Wonderful. Yeah, it's on, um, it's on Indiegogo. It's mm-hmm. indiegogo.com. And the address for it is https colon forward slash igg dot me forward slash at the word at not the internet sign at and then forward slash flourish lime test and um, there is information on there there's information about the company there's information about you know what we're intending to do in terms of you know patient and clinician education programs I would I would hate for anybody to kind of say well somebody said it once actually and it really offended me um, somebody told me that I was cashing in on sick people and I and I, I I was kind of really taken aback because I was like, I, I personally hadn't thought of it like that. The team hadn't right. thought of it like that because, right. you know, yeah, we, we are go- we're going to sell tests. We are going to sell tests. But ultimately, we have plans for that money, you know, that we do generate. And, it, and it's not just a, we're just going to say it so we get funded. Mm-hmm. It's 
we you know there will be a charity it will be called together we flourish you know there will be funds in there we will you know we, we will pay bills you know dependent on the on the success of the test and and I'm just to give you an example I can't, you know, at this moment in time, give an exact selling price for the over-the-counter test. Mm-hmm. But I can say, and I did, I did Google this on on Walmart. A clear blue pregnancy test is fifty dollars, and we would like to think that we will be less expensive mm-hmm. than that for an over-the-counter test for Lyme disease. Right, and. $50 isn't cheap, but at the same point, we all can scrape that together. I, I think in terms of um, when I see that individuals are paying between four and $700 for a blood test. Exactly. It comes back negative. Yeah. But then patients are still ill and then they have a similar blood test done three months later and exactly. they pay the same money. You know, I just, you know, it's it's the it's the health economic benefit argument, isn't it? It's right. it's all about, you know, if if it was me and kind of my child, you you would try to go to the ends the ends of the earth. And I know that there are so many families out there that do go to the ends of the earth, and you know, they're they're ending up homeless because they're having to sell homes. And and, I, and there's a very very kind of pertinent quote that I actually found um, from um, from Bernie Sanders. And he, um, I'm going to find it here, and he just said, so just to put it in context, at the moment in the US, there are 25,000 GoFundMe campaigns for Lyme disease. So there's 25,000 people looking for help at the moment Mm -hmm. to help them pay for treatment. Yes. And Bernie Sanders said, um, no one in America should ever have to choose between their medicine and their food, mm-hmm. yet millions have to make that choice every day. And I, and that, for me, totally sums up what we're trying to do. Exactly. If we, can, if we can have a over-the-counter test that is between 30 and $40, that can facilitate a person, if they get bitten, they mightn't get the EM rash, but they'll see the tick. They might see the tick, mm-hmm. you know, or they start with a flu-like symptom, you right. know, within two or three days and they can get straight to their doctors and hopefully get some treatment that will inhibit the disease from becoming chronic. If we can do that, we will hopefully be able to stop people from choosing between food and medicine. Exactly. And I'll, I'll end up, I'm, since what am I trying to say here? Let me defend you and capitalism a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I mean, here it's it's wonderful to think that uh, the government will fund everything fully and that all you have to do is is show that you're in need and and that you'll get what you need what you need however we know we know that there's more in play than that the the real that's the that's the rainbows and unicorn that's the 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 elementary school version of it when when push comes to shove choices are made and 
for something like Lyme disease, and we know what's happening with the CDC and NIH and IDSA and how difficult it is to get them to budge a little bit, we have to go hat in hand begging. Now, what the capitalist model allows you to do is say, I've got a great idea, and if I can convince other people that it's a great idea, they'll give me a little bit of money for it, and it'll enable me to bring this to market outside the controls of the experts and the politicians and the bureaucracies. And we get to do an end run, exactly what you're doing. Without capitalism, you wouldn't be doing what you'd be doing. You'd be you'd be frustrated or trying to do it in the basement of a university somewhere and trying to figure out who you could bribe to bring this thing to, to market. Instead, you're above board and saying, you know, look, this is what we're doing. And so as, as evil as capitalism can be, it's also allows these little tiny upstarts to to flourish in ways that that would that's not going to happen in a in a top-down uh controlled economy where everything flows through the government so you know there's as there's no perfect system out there and god knows that people aren't getting what they need uh through their insurance and so forth and so on but the ability to, to create this tiny little corporation that you've done here in Ireland and bring this is exactly, you know, what, what was done with the, with Pasteur and, and everybody else hundreds of 150 years ago in bringing new science forward. And it's not, it's never, it's never the, the war on cancer. It's never the big institutions that break through. They never do. It's the nature of big institutions. They're too slow. They're too stuck in their ways. It's the little tiny people like you who bring forth miracles and i find well i find that very very encouraging and i think and that's something and it's something as well that you know to get kind of give you an example we do, you know we do do consultancy and i you know reach out to you know some of the the larger companies and ask for their opinions on specific technologies and i can be often told oh you know it's that project is such a waste of taxpayers money and, exactly and, and that is something that you know our team at flourish are not interested in in doing you know that is why you know we, we've said look you know even if it takes us a little bit longer we'll keep crowdfunding we'll keep working we'll keep trying to do this because then because then we've done it and we're trying to encourage you know the the Lyme community you know there's so many people in this world with Lyme disease mm-hmm. if every single one of those persons could just donate one dollar we could do this we can do this you know, and it's so, you know, for us, it's almost like we're kind of developing a diagnostic test paid for by the Lyme community, right. for the Lyme community, because I don't want to be, you know, I've, I have reached out to investors and, you know, we're kind of classed that we're, that we're a bit risky because mm-hmm. we're still early stage, absolutely. which is absolutely fine. And I totally understand that and totally respect that um, and would never say anything, you know, uh, you know, uh, kind of bad about, about those comments because it just gives you, for me anyway, it gives me the more fire in my belly mm-hmm. to keep me going. Um, and to keep everybody around me going because it is a it is a it's a tough tough you know road that we're on mm-hmm. and um but we know that we can do it you know this our scientific team have had experience and successes before we have a couple of advisors um from the US that are board members that have launched 
uh, HIV tests, rapid HIV tests, Legionella tests, chlamydia tests that are notoriously difficult to diagnose. So we know that we can do this and we know we can be successful. And, and you, like you say, it's trying to convince somebody, you know, I haven't actually got something in my hand. I haven't actually got you know, an antibody in a test tube that I can give to somebody and mm-hmm. say, hey, we've done it because we're, we're, we're raising funds to do that. But we've got the, dig- the digital element is completed. The, you know, the, the point of care platform is completed. The antibody is the key. And we've got everything else that we need lined up to be able to, to do this. And, and yeah, and it, it does seem like, a, you know, a, an awful, an awful, awful kind of lot of money, you know, you know, whether it costs 200,000, 300,000, whatever. But in, but in, in the scheme of things, it's peanuts. It's peanuts in comparison to the money that is wasted on all of the pharmaceuticals. Of For example, that patients with Lyme disease who are misdiagnosed mm-hmm. then take a bucket full of other pharmaceutical drugs that then damages their kidneys, damages their liver because of how the drugs are, are metabolized. Um, you're right, it's peanuts in the scheme of things. Right. And um like I say, I don't want to make light of it in any way, shape, or form, um, because what we're doing is really, really hard. And but I love the fact that you said it's um, it's the little boys that kind of come <laughs> up with the uh, with the with the cherries on top, and that is what we're planning on doing. And that is what, well, basically, Mackay, I will keep going until these tests right. are commercialized. Well, that's, if, if you're ever feeling down, read, read one of the stories of the Wright brothers and flight because they were humble bicycle mechanics in the middle of Ohio and they, they packed all their experiments over years and, and brought them to this little kitty hawk in, uh, in North Carolina. And meanwhile, back in Washington, D.C., Samuel Pierpont Langley had what essentially was a, a massive contract from the Department of War to figure out how to fly. And he had the best scientists and the, the big funding. And uh, the, the best he could do was crash planes into the Potomac River. And it was these little bicycle mechanics all on their own who, who learned how to fly. So yeah. that, and that's the history of science. That's yeah, the history I mean, of science. Yeah. And it says, it says it all, doesn't it? And it's humbling. Like, don't get me wrong, Mac, I am nothing special. I'm just a mum with two kids. And yeah, but I have had a great career. Um, but I am, I'm, I'm nobody special. Um, I have a fantastic team, absolutely fantastic team. And I'm just really, um, for us now, it's kind of about giving something back. It's at least, you know, my business partner, Justin, will say to me all the time, look, Helen, if we can pull this off, then we've really done something. Yes. And, th- and that, again, it just sums it up. You know, it's right. If we can do this, we've really achieved something. This concept, this idea of having an over-the-counter Lyme test is not only a really good idea, but it's like, it's empowering as well because it cuts out 
trying to convince a doctor to take a Lyme test in the first place. Well, if they can get the price down to what she was talking about, about $50 a test, that would be incredible because mm-hmm. right now you can spend $100 on a Lyme test and their efficacy is all over the place, maybe 50%. So we don't even know what we're getting. It's not worth the money almost to take those tests. But if there is an accurate test that we could get for 50 bucks, we could really guide our treatment with so much more information. It's like, are the spirochetes being killed off in the body with the treatment we're doing you know or we taking you know iv antibiotics and we still have active lyme you know are we doing an herbal protocol and has that killed it off so just having that information a solid test a good solid test that works 90 95 percent of the time whatever the number will end up being and is inexpensive will be absolute game changer it's it's going to be incredible if it works out the way they're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's 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 really exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing it, seeing it in Walmart. Absolutely. And in the meantime, if you need more Lime Ninja in your life, make sure you subscribe to us on your iPhone or your iPad. Just go over to iTunes and hit subscribe there. That way you won't miss out on the great conversations like these. And this is what one of our listeners, Gwen Deanne, recently said about Lime Ninja Radio. Lime Ninja is the best place to learn about Lime and how other Limeys get well. They cover a lot of different remedies, supplements, and programs. They cover this by taking talking with folks that have Lyme or researchers, lab specialists, or doctors that know how the bacteria and viruses live and die. Not every episode has a takeaway for you, but it's very possible the next will. One thing that stands out with the podcast is the quality of sound and organization. I can listen easily. McKay has a clear speaking voice, and that means a lot to me. Probably a limey thing, but I do appreciate that. Thanks, Aurora, and thank you, ninjas. And last, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know ninjas don't expect the unexpected? They are the unexpected. Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.